Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, Have you ever been in a desert before? Raise your hand if you've ever been in a desert. Yeah, uh, when I was growing up, my family would take these epic road trips, right? We, we, I'm from Texas. We had this truck uh, that had a camper that would sit in the bed of the truck. It was the kind where like the bed like went over the front of the truck, one of those, you know? And so we would, we would load that thing up and we would be gone for weeks at a time. My sister lived in California and so we'd go to California and then come back. We'd travel all through the Western states. Well, one time we went through Death Valley because my sister lived in California, we went there. Now, here's the deal about Death Valley. Death Valley is called Death Valley for a reason. Temperatures, it's not uncommon for temperatures to be over 130 degrees in Death Valley, which means when you're driving through Death Valley, the temperature, and that's an average too, by the way, the temperatures can get so hot, it actually melts the tires on your car as you're driving. And sometimes they'll close the park just because it's so hot. Well, they probably should have closed the park the day that we drove through because we got a flat tire from the heat of the road as we were driving through Death Valley. It was awful because it was so hot that we couldn't stay in the camper because there was, you know, no, there was, there was not enough breeze to keep the inside of the camper cold. We couldn't stand outside the truck because it was so hot. And so he just kind of kept going back and forth and back and forth. And of course, it's, it's Death Valley. Like nobody came by uh, for a while. Finally, somebody stopped. We got the tire changed and it was good. But, but all that to say, my impression of a desert, and what's funny too is like, like Death Valley has those like Western cactuses. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like in every Western movie. And, and what's interesting, my parents thought it was this great idea to tell me how to survive in a desert that you could, you, know, you could tear that off and, and eat the inside of that and get water from it or something, I can't remember. Looking back at it, that probably wasn't the best conversation to have at the time, but they did, and, and I, I remember seeing those cactuses and thinking about that. But, but I'll have to say, like, a desert is not a pleasant place, right? Like, it's known for high temperatures, little rainfall, sparse vegetation, and the deal with a desert is there's life there, but man, living is hard in the desert right? Now, maybe you haven't been to a desert physically, but let me ask you this. Have you ever been to a desert spiritually? Have you ever been in a place in your spirit where your spiritual life was dry, right? Where, where it was arid, where there was life there, but man, life was hard. And maybe some of you are there today. Maybe you're in a season right now where, where your spiritual life is a desert place, is a dry place. Now, there could be a few reasons that you're there. One of them could be sin, uh, that sin in your life will drive you to the desert, right? If you embrace something that, 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 that is sinful, something that God has said no to or something that, uh, that, that God has said yes to and you've said no to, like when you embrace that sin, uh, sometimes it'll drive you to a desert place and, 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 and you'll stop being around God's people, you'll stop talking to God, you'll stop listening to God, and in those places, there is life there, but life is hard in those places. But maybe it's not sin that's brought you to the desert place. If it is, take heart because it's easy to get out of that desert place with confession and repentance, right? But, but, I know a lot of your stories, not all of your stories. I know a lot of your stories when you're in this desert place. It's not sin that's brought you there. Like you're doing what you know to do. 
You're, 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 you're engaging in church, you're engaging in your spiritual life, you're reading God's words, you're praying, but your spiritual life is just dry, right? And maybe, maybe you're there. Well, let me ask you this. What if God has moved you into that desert place for a reason? What if it's not a fluke? What if it's not just coincidence? What if God has moved you into that desert place for a reason? What if he's moved you in that desert place because he has a plan for you in that desert place? What if, what if his plan that he has for you can only be seen in that desert place? What if in that desert place, in this season of your life, is the best place to glorify God? Well, if one of these scenarios is you, I'm glad you're here today. Because let me tell you, you're gathering with a group of people um, who, who won't shame you, who won't shun you, uh, and, and, and because we have a God who meets us in those desert places, right? And we have been there in those desert places. And today, we're going to watch a guy go into a desert place. And when he's there, we're going to see life given. We're going to see new life begin. And then we're going to see what this new life produces. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to focus on verses 26 uh, through 39. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. In that Bible, it's on page 760. Um, Or like Carol said, you can download the Bible app, click on events, and click on Fellowship Asheville. Our announcements are there. The scriptures are there. There's a place for you to take notes and save it. And this is our last Sunday in our series called Unsubscribed. And, and, And what we're doing is we're going through the scriptures, looking at people who have unsubscribed from their faith because of doubt, fear, unmet expectations. And we're watching how Jesus interacts and how the, how God interacts with those people with doubt. And what we've seen time and time again is that there is not shame. There is not shunning. Instead, there is truth. And there is this invitation into a, a new life. There is this invitation into a better life. There is this invitation into a different opportunity. And so for you today, if you're in a desert place, oftentimes it's real easy to unsubscribe. Well, here's what I hope happens today. I hope today you see an invitation to a better way of life. And what we're gonna see as we go through this passage is that the resurrection is your invitation to show because we're gonna see a baptism today in our passage. And then we're gonna see three in real life. And, and, and what we're gonna see is that the resurrection is your invitation to show people what's happened on the inside. Now, let me show you what I mean, because like I said, we're gonna, I said we're gonna start in verse 26. I actually want us to back up a little bit because I wanna set the stage. Back up to verse four, chapter eight, verse four. It says this. Um, yeah, chapter eight, verse four. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So what this means is uh, when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, uh, he ministered to his disciples. Uh, then he ascended into heaven and he gave them the, the greatest commandment is what it's called. And he told them to go make disciples. And they did that in Jerusalem. And then something happened. The church, this new thing called the church, was persecuted by people. And so people who were known as Jesus followers spread (coughs) throughout the land. And what we're going to see is this guy named Philip is one of those people who were scattered. And look at what they do when they scatter. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria, And proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. 
And when they heard him, they saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was so much joy in the city. Like I said, Philip is one of those who, who followed Jesus. And, and he was there when he was crucified. And he followed him after he was resurrected. And, and he was part of those disciples, part of that new church that spread the gospel in Jerusalem and was scattered. And that's what he did when he went to Samaria is, is he taught the only thing that he knew to be true, that the Messiah had come and his name was Jesus. But now here's what's interesting about this place called Samaria. Samaria uh, was different than Jerusalem because it was a little further out. And it was full of people who weren't Jewish, but yet worshipped like Jewish people. And so, so they weren't of the nation of Israel, but they worshipped the God of Israel. Here's what this means. Nobody likes Samaria. Because if you were Jewish, you didn't like them because they weren't doing it right. They weren't coming to Jerusalem. They were doing their own thing. If you weren't Jewish, you didn't like them because they weren't worshiping your gods. They were worshiping somebody else's God. And so Philip goes into this city and he tells them about Jesus being the Messiah and they listen. And then, he, and then God uses him to perform these miracles and unclean spirits are, are, are cast out and people are healed. And then the city is filled with joy. And so this city that was known as a place where nobody likes who lives there, all of a sudden became this city known for its joy because of what the gospel did in that city. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if this was my first gig, like it was Philip's, right? He was in Jerusalem doing his thing and this was his first thing outside of Jerusalem. That is a very fruitful ministry, right? That because of God using Philip, he changed the personality of a city because of the gospel. That's pretty impressive. You would expect the next place that Philip goes to be a bigger city with more impact, right? Because that's the way we like things. If you're, if you're doing a great job here and you knock it out of the park here, then listens you there and lets you knock it out of the park there. That his next assignment would be this bigger city, this more fruitful ministry. Well, look, jump down to verse 26. And let's see what God does with Philip. In verse 26, it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So God moves Philip from this place of fruitful ministry to this desert place. Now remember if I asked if you've been in a desert place spiritually or physically, um, whether you have or not, particularly if you haven't been to a desert place spiritually, I need you to pay attention to what we're gonna talk about because you will be in a desert place spiritually at some point, right? I've read my Bible, not all, well, I guess I technically I have read all of it. There's a theme where God likes to send people to the desert, Now I'll explain that in a minute. But here's what I want you to know if you've never been in a desert place or if you are in a desert place, this is what I want you to know, that God will send you to a desert place. And so if you're there, if it's sin, you can confess and repent and there is healing. But if you've done what you know to do and you're looking at your life and you're like, there is no unconfessed sin. Like, like any sin that I have, it has been confessed and it has been repented of and I'm on that train, but yet I am stuck in this desert place. God has sent you to that desert place. 
And if you haven't been there, you will be there. At some point in your life, you will be in that desert place because God sends his people to desert places for a reason. He sent Abraham to a desert place. He sent Joseph to a desert place. He sent Moses to a desert place. Now, the tendency is when God sends you to a desert place, the tendency is to think that you're all alone there, right? That God sent you, that it's some form of punishment, right? Because, because surely God wouldn't do this. Surely God would move me from fruitful ministry to fruitful ministry to fruitful ministry. He wouldn't send me to this desert place. But here's one thing you need to know about God sending you to a desert place, that God will send you to a desert place for those who are in the desert. That not only has God not left you, not only are you not alone because of God, hey, you are not alone. I, I think that's the first time that has happened. Sirens, I've heard. The, the, the holler back horn, I haven't heard. But God will move you into a desert place, not just for you and him, but there are other people in the desert that God is gonna work through you for. And that's important to know because here's what happened with Abraham. When God sent Abraham to the desert, he birthed a nation. When God sent Joseph to the desert, he saved a nation. When God sent Moses to the desert, he led a nation. God will send you to the desert not just for you, but he has something or someone in that desert place who needs God through you. Watch this. In verse 27, it says, and he rose and went. So this is Philip. God said, go, I mean, the angel of the Lord said, or an angel of the Lord said, go to the desert. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of, he, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And so here we see this person that God sent Philip to the desert for. We know he's from Africa. We know that he is a high-ranking official of the Queen of Ethiopia. So here's what this means. If this is Wakanda, right? If this is Black Panther, here's what this means. This guy was a high-ranking servant to Black Panther's mom, right? Are you with me? That's who this guy is, right? And so he's this high-ranking official that the queen of Ethiopia trusted him with all of her resources, with her money and everything that she had. But the question is, why is this guy in the desert between Jerusalem and Gaza if he is from Ethiopia and if he's high-ranking official in Ethiopia? Let's, let's read and see. It says in the rest of verse 27, it says, He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so he had gone to Jerusalem to worship God, which means Philip and this guy worship the same God. And here we see that he's reading part of, of his Bible. Then it wasn't a Bible, it was a scroll. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah. They didn't have Bibles like we do. It came in scrolls. And, and it showed his wealth too because people didn't just have scrolls. You had to go to the temple or go to an ancient, uh, they called them libraries where they kept scrolls. You had to go there to read the scrolls, but he has one of his own because he's trusted with the riches of Ethiopia. And so he's reading this, this book of Isaiah. And look at what happens in verse 29. It says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Nelson, I want to stop right here real quick because I want you to notice something. Look back up in verse 26. Who told Philip to go to the desert place? An angel of the Lord, a messenger of God. 
Who told Philip now? Who's speaking now to Philip? The Holy Spirit. Y'all, God speaks in the desert places. Right? Let's not let that pass by. When you're in that desert place, God speaks in the desert. Philip was not left on his own to figure out what God wanted him to do. God showed him, just like he will show you in that desert place. See, if you're in a desert place, you read God's word, you listen for his voice to confirm what you've read in his word because he speaks in those desert places. Now, here's why this is important. When I'm meeting with somebody for counseling and they're in this desert place spiritually, their immediate thought is, I've done something to get me here. And I ask them, well, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? And they stop and they think and they go, no. No, I mean, it's not that I don't sin. It's just that I'm not hiding it. I'm talking to God about it. I'm talking to my growth group about it. I'm talking to trusted people about it. Like, like, like no, there's nothing unconfessed. And I go, okay, then stop thinking about it. God has you in this desert place for a reason. So listen to him when you're in that desert place. And this is where Philip is. And look at what the Spirit says to Philip in verse 29. It says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now the reason he could hear this guy reading the prophet, reading Isaiah the prophet, is, is well, let me show you. Let me show you. This is what uh, an ancient scroll looks like. And this is uh, the passage that we're going to see. This is from Isaiah 53. Right? Everybody see that? Doesn't it look just like Isaiah 53? But here's what you'll notice. Notice there are no spaces really in between the words. There might be some here and there, but all the words are pushed together. What you don't see, too, is that there are not vowels in that. Because uh, the, the papyrus that they wrote on was very expensive. What they wrote on the scrolls was very expensive. They tried to condense as much as they could. So there's no spaces, there's no vowels. So a lot of times when you read the ancient language like this, you read it out loud because you're trying to, to, to figure out what it says. It's like if you've ever been on, on Facebook and somebody shared a, a, a picture of a page where there are no spaces between the words because they want you to experience what having a learning disability is like, you catch yourself saying it out loud, I am, I, I am, go, go, going, going, going to, and that's what you do. That's what this guy was doing as he was reading it out loud because this is what he had. Now let's see what, what's happening because he's gonna ask not for what does this say because he can read it, but he's gonna ask what does it mean? And so let's look at verse 30 the rest of verse 30. It says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up, Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does, this, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? 
Now, okay, I've got a couple of minutes. I wanna, I wanna explain to you a little bit about what's happening. Um, before Jesus uh, started his ministry and was crucified and, and, and resurrected, any rabbi would have told you this passage is about the coming Messiah. It's about the, the, the Messiah that's coming, that there will be humiliation, that there will be injustice. That was a very normal translate or interpretation of what this passage means. Here's what's interesting. When you look at church history and you look at, at, at how this passage transitioned in translation or interpretation, after Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, all of a sudden, the rabbis took a different perspective on this passage. They said, this is no longer about the Messiah. This is either about the prophet Isaiah or the nation of Israel. But it's not a messianic prophecy anymore. Why? Because Jesus was humiliated. Jesus took on the injustice. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. And the warning here for us is that when we're in the desert place, don't make God's word say something it doesn't say. Let it speak. Because they didn't like what it was saying and they changed the interpretation of it, which is why this guy is asking, what is this about? Is this about the prophet or is this about someone else? And here's what else I love about this. God sent Philip to this guy through the desert so that Philip could explain these two verses to him clearly. Now think about that. This guy had a, had a fruitful, exciting ministry in Samaria and God sent him to the desert for this one guy to explain two verses. That doesn't sound like a good economy of resources, does it? And here's what I've seen time and time again. God doesn't value efficiency. Now, he doesn't value inefficiency either. What he values is life change. And he will go to any length necessary to change somebody's life, right? We've got a whole crew from Ridgecrest and Crestridge here, and, and y'all are the leaders this summer. Here's what you're gonna experience. Here's what campers are gonna experience. You know, since you're here, I'll talk to you. This means you have given up your entire summer to serve kids you don't even know yet, Right? and to serve leaders you haven't met yet. I don't know if you know this, maybe your parents have told you this, you could have made a lot more money doing something else this summer, right? Right, it doesn't, right, did your parents bring that up at some point? Yeah, here's the deal, that's not God's economy. God's economy doesn't match our economy. And in God's economy, you spending your summer making whatever it is you make, eating awesome food. Truly, it is great food, but, 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 but you spending your time doing that this summer is God's economy because he will go to any length to change a life. We did a mission trip to Nicaragua and there was this guy on the trip who loved to work with his hands and, and man, he was so excited about going and, and doing and the day we got to, actually, I think it might've been on the plane, he started feeling sick and he was sick the entire week. Started feeling better the day we got back. And he said, he said, I think God had me go on this trip just to show me how much he doesn't need me. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, I know how much the plane ticket cost. I know how much money was spent to get you there and to feed you and all that stuff. And in God's economy, that doesn't matter. 
right? That was worth it. In God's economy, it was worth it to send his son to be sacrificed and to die so that we could have changed lives. God's economy isn't our economy. I want things fast and cheap, right? If a website doesn't load in seconds, I move on to something else. That's not God's economy. And when God's way of doing things doesn't match my way of doing things, God will send me to the desert to learn his way of doing things. And he will take us to the desert so that we can understand and submit to his ways. Well, look at what Philip does. Because what's great is you never see Philip complain about going to the desert. If it was Fred, not Philip, there'd be a couple of additional verses here. Right? Where God would have to, would have to adjust my attitude. But look at verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip uses these verses from Isaiah and told this, this guy who this passage was really talking about. And told him about Jesus. That Jesus was, was like I said earlier, the sheep led to the slaughter for the crucifixion. He was the one who was humiliated on the cross. He was the one that took on the injustice of man, right? Because, because he wasn't guilty. He was innocent. And yet died the death of a criminal. That is the definition of injustice. And he took on the injustice of man so that we... When we believe in him, when we say yes to Jesus, we don't have to face the justice of God that our sin has earned us. That's what, that's what Philip told this, this Ethiopian. And this offer is for you too. You too today can accept that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross by simply saying yes to Jesus and receiving his gift of salvation. Because when you say yes to Jesus, this is what happens next. Look at verse 36. It says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Hello, water, right there. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way. What's that last word? Rejoicing. There is joy in Samaria because of the gospel. There's now joy in this Ethiopian because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done. And as soon as this guy understood what Jesus had done for him, he immediately wanted to make a public display of his faith. Now keep in mind, this public display was him, Philip, and whatever entourage he had with him. It wasn't a big church service like this. It doesn't have to be big to be a public display. It just has to be in public. And that's what this guy did. And, and apparently in this desert place, there was some water and deep enough to be baptized. So they did. And that's what baptism is. It's this picture of something that happens on the inside. Because when you say yes to Jesus, that is between you and God. And, and when you admit that you are a sinner, that God is holy and that Jesus died so that you can have a good and right and personal relationship with him, you do that in your soul, you do that in your mind. You don't, you don't, you don't get a billboard and say, guess what I did? 
right? Over time, you can see fruit in your, in, in your life. That sanctification where you walk in more trust and obedience, that takes time. And sometimes at the moment of justification, when you say yes to Jesus, there are immediate changes in your life. In my life, when I said yes to Jesus, it was, I was coming to church with a friend. He kept inviting me. Uh, we were best friends at the time. And I was sitting there and the pastor led us through what's called the sinner, sinner's prayer, which is basically what I just told you, that you're a sinner, God is holy, uh, and you need Jesus. And you pray to accept the gift of Jesus. And, but, but when the pastor did that, he said, this is between you and God. You don't have to say it now, just listen, and you can say it later. And so that's what I did. I was laying in bed that night, and I said, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need you. And I ex- receive your payment for my sin." And I got up the next morning. This was laying in bed before I went to sleep. I got up the next morning and looked in the mirror. And you know what? I thought something was going to look different. You know what? It didn't. It was still me staring back at me in the mirror. But I was lighter in my soul. So I knew something had changed. What baptism does is it takes what happened on the inside and shows everybody on the outside that something happened. That's all baptism is. It's a picture of what happened on the inside. And so for you today, maybe this can be, can be for you. And, and, and this other great thing I want us to notice is that all of this happened in a desert place. Right? That God changes you in desert places. You are not left alone and you leave that desert place different than you came in. And what else I love about baptism is, is not only is it a display for y'all to see, it's a display for that person to remember. Because here's the deal about desert places. When you're in a desert place, sometimes you think you saying yes to Jesus didn't take, right? And you're like, I don't know if that was real. When you get baptized, you have this physical marker to say, you know what? It was real. It was real enough for me to stand up in front of a bunch of people. Particularly today, it was real enough to get in a fairly cold pool of water. It's like North Carolina Creek cold. You know what I mean? Like, you get in, take your breath away. Sorry. But you will remember that day. You will remember that day. And you will remember that what the decision you made was real and was true. And so for you, if you're in a desert place, are you willing to let God change you? You've tried everything. Are you willing to surrender? And and maybe it's surrender to salvation, the fact that Jesus is what he said he is, that he is the truth, the light, and the way, and there's no other way to get to the Father except through him. And if your soul is saying yes, then simply say yes to Jesus right now and receive that gift of salvation. Like I said, we've got scheduled baptisms. If you wanna be baptized today, I would love to do that. We'll send you out in wet jeans and a dry t-shirt, but, but we can do that. But for those of you who have already said yes to Jesus, and if you haven't been baptized, we would love to do that because the resurrection is still your invitation to show. But if you have been baptized and you have said yes to Jesus, Here's the question I have for you. Where is your desert place? And what is God desiring to change in you in that desert place? Because like this Ethiopian guy, he surrendered to the truth and so can you. Because let me tell you this, 
your change requires surrender. It requires surrender. And so what do you need to surrender today? Do you need to surrender control of the situation? Do you need to consider uh, surrender the, the pride of your reputation? That you've got an image to keep up. Do you need to surrender power? Kids, now parents, keep your elbows to yourself, but kids, do you need to obey your parents and submit to their authority? Like the Bible actually says that that is a path to blessing is obedience. See what I mean, parents? Elbows in. Right, because when you surrender, you get to move on just like this Ethiopian guy did. Because what did he leave that interaction with? Joy. Because your surrender produces joy. So I don't know how you came into this building today, but you can leave with more joy because of surrender. And so what is it that God is asking you to surrender? Let today be the day that you do that. Let me pray for us, and then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the baptism. Jesus, um, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. God, we love you. I do ask if, if there's something that somebody needs to surrender today to you, that they would do that. And that it would be done, and they, they wouldn't pick it back up when, when things get hard, when, when temptation strikes, but that they would lay it down and be done, and that you would give them freedom in this. That you would give them joy. And Father, that their life would be better because of it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.